The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today... Have you ever broken a valuable cup and wondered if it's worth repairing? Well, I'll be talking to an expert in the ancient Japanese art of kintsugi. Is your home at risk if you enter the insolvency process? Well, for 98% of people, it's not. We'll be finding out how it works. If you've ever felt like living a nomadic life off-grid, well, I'll be talking to somebody who's done just that. And we're indoors, we're outdoors, how to find the perfect accessories, whatever the weather. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. I'm on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show at any time and all our podcasts on the News Talk app, which is powered by Goloud. Now, good morning, everyone. It used to be one of the biggest taboos in old Ireland, at least, and that's going bankrupt. I mean, it had connotations of failure. Uh, It meant shame for many families. But thankfully, that's no longer true anymore. And, And why nobody wants to get into debt, seeing really wealthy, important people crashing after the boom, uh, bankruptcy nearly became, oh, I don't know, a badge of honour for some. For most ordinary people, though, it can be a very confusing and worrying time. So I'm really looking forward to talking to one of my guests later on who's going to demystify the whole process and bust some of the myths. The biggest one being that you lose your home. Uh, But I'd love to hear from people who have been through the process. Did you find it a relief, as I hear from so many? Or was it overly bureaucratic and legalistic? Well, look, let me know. Sometimes taking the first step to talk about it is the most important one. We've a great show lined up, lots and lots of guests. So do stay with us. You're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, I'm sure you've all been in the position where you've broken a cherished piece of porcelain or ceramic over the years and you either throw it out or try to hide the broken bits maybe at the back of the cupboard. Well, I discovered recently the ancient Japanese art of kintsugi, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which mends items using lacquer and gold. But it goes far deeper than just that. And to tell me more about this fascinating art form, I'm joined by ceramic artist and author of the book Kintsugi, The Poetic Mend, Dr. Bonnie Kemsky. Good morning, Bonnie, and you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, did I get that pronunciation right? And where does kintsugi come from? Yes, uh, that's pretty good. Kintsugi. uh, It's actually kin means gold and tsugi means to join. So it's kintsugi, a gold joining. It's a um, Japanese uh, repair technique that's used in many materials, but we mostly associate it with being used in ceramics. And it dates back about 400 years, as far as we know, as far as we can see. And yes, it's um, the way it's done is the broken pieces are put back together using urushi, which is a lacquer, Japanese lacquer. And then the seams of the repair are sprinkled with gold so that in the end, the, the pot looks like it's been repaired with solid gold. So it's nearly emphasizing the cracks, the bits that are broken. Uh, Is that deliberate? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's it, this is a quite an important point for me because some people, if you look up kintsugi and you see it on the internet and things, they'll say it's about celebrating the break. And I don't think that's right. It's not mm-hmm. celebration. It's acknowledgement. It's seeing the fault and accepting the fault, accepting the imperfection. And so you always see the gold. It's never hidden. There's no such thing as as good as new in a kintsugi repair. There's no such thing as invisible mending. You always see the what the damage was and how it's been repaired. Now, I know that there is an authentic kintsugi, as you pointed out, using lacquer and gold. But mm. there's also a way to do it um, kind of in, in, in an easier or possibly a fake way, which is also quite popular. Talk to me about that. Yeah, in Japan, they call it kani kintsugi, which just means easy kintsugi. Or we call it faux kintsugi or fake kintsugi. And basically all it means is that you use glues to put the piece back together rather than using the uh, urushi, the lacquer. The lacquer, the Japanese lacquer that's used is actually quite, um, it's not poisonous. It, well, it is poisonous. It, uh, with, fit, with contact on the skin, you can develop a terrible rash. It's related to poison ivy and poison sumac. Mm-hmm poisoned oak, things like that. So about, I, I don't know, it's a very high percentage. Almost all the people in the world get this reaction. So it's, um, if you want to do your own repairs, you're better off doing a glue-based repair. And then you can decorate the outside either with gold with gold sprinkles. And you can use real gold for that as well, just as they do in traditional kintsugi. And can you buy those in a maybe craft shop or is it something that you could kind of get a kit for and, and maybe get some practice? Yeah, well, they're now producing, there are many different kits now appearing on the internet and in some shops. Make sure you, when you look that you, you see what you're getting before you spend a lot of money on it, because some of them are just a tube of glue and some gold glitter. And you don't want to spend a lot of money on that. <laughs> but some of them, like you can get some from some of the actual traditional Kintsugi practitioners. I know in the UK we have one, uh, Iku Nishikawa, and she, she actually produces a kit that is appropriate for repairing things and for learning how to repair things. She produces both the traditional and the non-traditional ones. In addition to that, I would recommend that people look online for the various um, instructional YouTube videos and things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're re- some of them are very good because I really love the fact that people are repairing their own things. There's something very special about that. And we're all into sustainability at the moment. And I mean, you say this has been around for hundreds of years before that became a kind of a a trendy uh, word. But everything was repaired and everything was sustainable. And it seems to me it's only in the last number of decades that we have this disposable culture. So Kintsugi is a way of just of bringing that to the fore. And I, I love the way that you say it's a way of acknowledging the imperfections. You're not trying to hide it and pretend it wasn't broken mm. and nobody smashed it. There is a whole holistic element to it in maybe in what it gives the mender. Would that be fair? Yes, absolutely. So the, the in fact, Kintsugi does three things. It restores function. So it makes something that was broken and unusable, usable again. It adds beauty 
So it makes a piece more beautiful than it was originally. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, and what makes Kintsugi so special, special is that it, it tells a story. It gives a narrative. So every Kintsugi piece that's been repaired, you know that there is some tragedy in that piece. It's been broken. It's been then put back lovingly, put back together to make it stronger and more beautiful. So of course, this what this gives us is this amazing metaphor about loss and recovery or breakage and restoration. Mm. And that applies and is being used to describe many, many different instances around the world, many circumstances that we're all going through, both personally and the earth and nationally and and everything. Mm. It's it's a broad metaphor that's been very appropriately applied. Now, I know Kintsugi brought a meaning to your own life uh, with the loss of your brother uh, when he was just 10 years old. Can you tell mm. me a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I was eight years old and my brother was 10 when he was killed in, a, in an accident involving children playing. And as things were in those days, we didn't know anything about grief counseling. My parents, you know, no one came and tried to help us or anything. And so we just didn't talk about him. Everything was taken away and he just was gone. And it was only many, many years later that I began to understand that this grief had really impacted my life in many ways. And it was when I was in Japan studying Japanese tea ceremony and I came across Kintsugi for the first time and I began to understand the metaphor of loss and recovery and things that I began to see a way of understanding what that experience had done to me because it always made me feel that I was somehow different from other people and not always in a bad way. So somehow it made me more appreciative of what people went through in life. Mm. And I always felt guilty about that. And so when I when I discovered Kintsugi, I realized I didn't need to feel guilty about that. I could accept that this was a horrible thing that happened, but it had these sometimes beneficial consequences. So it made me a different person. It made me what I was. So that's how I came to Kintsugi. Uh, and then, of course, with my Japanese tea ceremony studies, which have gone on for decades now. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's an endless, one of those things that you never finish studying, really. It's just made that understanding of it deeper and deeper. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Bonnie Kemsky about the Japanese art of Kintsugi here on the Home Show on News Talk. Bonnie, if I can ask you um, uh, about something else that I know you're involved in. You're a ceramic artist yourself, obviously, and, and you deal and, and create textured pieces. And I believe your husband calls you the doctor of hugs. Explain <laughs> that to me. It's such a lovely name. Yes, I, I actually, I went, uh, after being in the studio for 10 years making textured work, I decided to do a PhD in texture at the Royal College of Art in London. And uh, I started into that research and very quickly I realized that it wasn't actually about texture, it was about the experience of touch. And so after I did, this was four years of research that I did, Ultimately, I ended up making sculptural pieces that I call cast hugs. So I sit in the studio, usually naked, and uh, fill a latex, huge latex balloon with liquid plaster 
and hug it using my whole body, my arms, my legs, my torso, everything, until the plaster sets. And I use that as the form to take a mold of to make my my pieces. Wow. The pieces then fit other people's bodies so they can then experience this hug and however they want to experience so they're cast hugs basically which is why he calls me the doctor, doctor of hugs. hugs i have to say out of all the processes i've discussed with artists over the years on this show that is probably one of the most <laughs> unusual but i can visualize it as you're describing it so so these pieces and actually you can go on bonnie's website folks if you want to have a look at it it's bonniekemsky.com and you'll see people hugging this um, some would say an unforgiving material, you know, it's ceramic, but actually it's a moulded piece. Isn't that right? So so there's a comfort in it. That's right. That's right. And I mean, the research was pretty extensive. So what I went to what I tried to do was to engage many as many of the our touch senses as we have. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's more that we have more than just one sense of touch. We perceive hot and cold and pain and weight and pressure and movement and you know, a light touch, all of these are part of our sense of touch. So I was trying to engage all of those in a positive experience. So the works are, for instance, quite heavy, and that's intentional, so that you'll put it on your lap and hold it. It slows people down, so they have a slower, more uh, complete experience of the piece. Uh, It has a fine texture on it, so that you can discriminate that texture with your fingers, so it feels interesting in your hands. So, yeah, it's and and it fits against your body. And people what people say is that when they finally or not finally, but if they find a piece that fits against their body and it settles down, they have a sort of an aha moment where they get a sense that everything is right. Uh, Some people have said it feels like it becomes part of me. You know, so, so it's that's like a, what I was trying to do. A, a I'm trying to bear find... for grown-ups, maybe. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I, and except their artworks, you know. So, I for me, I'm I'm trying to find a way through art, through ceramic art, to give people a sense of comfort in what I think is a pretty frightening world. We'll take whatever comfort we can get uh, at this stage yes, in, in the right. in the COVID game. Well, now, Bonnie, if people want to find about more about you and your work, they can go to the website. That's bonniekemsky.com. And just remind me about the book again. Yes, the book is called Kintsugi, The Poetic Mend. And it uh, was published by Herbert Press, which is an imprint of Bloomsbury. And it's available on all um, in many bookstores and also online on, on lots of the different online vendors. Wonderful. And it has beautiful photography as well. <laughs> uh, Bonnie Kemsky, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thank you. Now, I mentioned at the top of the show that we're finally beginning to break the taboos around debt and insolvency. Well, the Insolvency Service of Ireland's latest report from 2020 dropped during the week. And some of the highlights around that were the reduction in the number of personal insolvency arrangements uh, compared to previous year uh, and the challenges that 2020 and the pandemic has brought to people's financial situations. Well, joining me now on the line is Tom Murray, Director of Freel Stafford. Uh, financial services and a PIP uh, to talk us through the process, the report and how all that works out. Tom, you're very welcome along to the Home Show this morning. 
Well, good morning, Sinead, and thank you very much for, for inviting me on today to talk to you. So, um, listen, thank you very much and delighted to be here. Now, a PIP is a personal insolvency practitioner, and you've been doing this for a very, very long time. Talk to me about what it is that you do. So, in effect, the, the, the role of the personal insolvency practitioner and effectively what a, a PIP is, is there, he's the interface between an individual or, in many cases, couples who are in financial difficulty and their creditors. And his job in very simple terms is to try and formulate a an arrangement or a compromise between the individual in difficulty and the people that he owes money to, be they financial institutions or, or other types of creditors. Now, I suppose that the first thing you're dealing with with people isn't so much the, finance, the finances of it all, but the emotion. People must be very, very worried by the time they get to talk to you. You know, financial difficulty, whether it's involved with a business that, that it's that you've been involved in developing and building up or now your family home is always an emotional thing but it's particularly so when personal debt and the family home and where you're bringing up your family and where you know the roof over your head is involved Mm -hmm. it's a particularly emotional thing so one of the key skills of 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 a pip is to be able to you know empathize with the individual and what they're going to be able to manage their the pip's own emotions be able to clearly see through that and bring people along through a process and bring comfort to people and bring them through the process and find a solution for them. Yeah, and one of the areas, um, Tom, that people are most worried about, of course, is this sense that if I go into this process, and it is a process, you're in a system with rules and regulations Mm -hmm. around it, that they are going to end up losing their home. So I was very surprised to see in the insolvency report for 2020 that, in fact, 98% uh, of those who got a personal insolvency arrangement got to stay in their home. So what kind of solutions are out there for people? Well, I think, you know, and, and that comes back to the core of this legislation. And, you know, governments sometimes get get attacked for not doing enough. But, you know, back in 2012, there was foresight in terms of this type of legislation that we were one of the first you know, um, insolvency solutions in the world that dealt with secured debt. And the secured debt is, for example, a mortgage on a family home. That's the, the security for, mm. for want of a technical expression of the home. And the personal insolvency arrangement allows, and like there was nothing like it else, you know, across the world in terms of insolvency regimes to deal with, with the secured debt. So in the legislation, a PIP is able to formulate a scheme um, across uh, many, many different ways, including, you know, writing down the value of the liability on the the, the family home. Mm-hmm. Now, there is protections that it had, the debt can be written into the market value of the family home. You can look to extend the period of the mortgage down. You can look at the rates that are that, that are involved. The PIP can also look at the extending the period, say the period out bit well beyond the term. Um, there's, there's any number, there's a number of different um, approaches that a PIP can take. The key thing is it has to be fair to the individual and fair to the creditors it mm. has to be a, a fair solution across the board sure because but banks they, need they, to, banks also need to get their money back at some point and and you know they have to have an arrangement then that will work on both sides now talk to me about this drop in the number of arrangements done I, it was three percent but that's significant enough in a year when we've had massive unemployment and you know lots of social welfare supports well, how much of that was down to just the courts being closed When you're looking at the the reduction of 3%, you have to say that um, a lot of credit has to go to the the PIPs, the courts, the ISI, for being able to facilitate in a difficult period um, the the closing out or the approval of arrangements um, with only a 3% drop. 
But I think what, what's interesting is more in the number of protective certificates that are issued. Because in order to go into a personal insolvency arrangement, you, a PIP has to apply to court for a protective certificate. And the numbers of protective certificates issued in 2020 were down 33% on the previous year. Mm -hmm. So when you consider that a, a PIA, the process takes a period of time. I think what we're seeing is that less people have entered into the process and that's due to a number of reasons including, you know, the government supports that are out there, mm. um, credit or forbearance um, to a certain degree um, and obviously just the, the overall effect of the pandemic. Less people have actually commenced the process. Now that doesn't mean that people are, are you know, who are in financial difficulties are suddenly better off. It just means that perhaps, and this is my interpretation of it, is that we're going to see a catch-up period mm, in 2022 um, because you don't like like you know the economy hasn't improved and for a significant number of um, a drop in the number of people who are actually applying for a protective certificate that would strongly suggest to me that there's going to be a catch-up right. required. Okay all right now and finally then Tom if anybody is worried about their debt their situation the bills are piling up what would you recommend they do? Well, I think the first thing to say is that a burden shared is in many cases a burden half or certainly a burden dealt with. So I think, you know, the, there is a, over 80 um, registered PIPs in the country um, that there's PIPs in every county in the country contact a PIP. Um, the, re the reality is they're trained to deal with this, that they're trained to understand the legalities, the issues, uh, and they can bring clarity. And if you've got clarity on a problem, you can find your way through it and you, you like and there will be and there is solutions for people out there and remember mabs the debt and budgeting services there to mabs.ie uh, for people to Absolutely. get a start with okay tom murray director of real stafford financial services and pip thank you very much for joining us on the home my show pleasure today. tonight thank you for inviting me now airbnb has announced a new Live Anywhere on Airbnb programme wherein 12 people and up to three of their companions will be given the opportunity to bunk at Airbnb accommodations around the world for a year for free. With this in mind here on The Home Show, we wanted to find out what life as a digital nomad is like. How similar is it to the lifestyle depicted in the film Nomadland? I don't know if you've seen that. It's excellent. Join me on the line is digital nomad and travel blogger, Tara Povey. Tara, when did you set out on this uh, nomad lifestyle? Oh, um, it's probably about seven years ago now. Um, I just started off, you know, traveling kind of, I left my job as a pharmacist and went traveling. Um, but then I started the blog, you know. Now, you had what a lot of mammies in Ireland would call a proper job before you did all that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I did. I know. And that was um, it was definitely hard to let go of it. Um, But I just kind of felt like I was too young to kind of get settled into my job. And, you know, that was going to be me for the next, you know, X number of years and nothing was going to change. I just didn't want to be um, stuck in the same routine at all. Um, like I, I didn't mind the pharmacy job, but I just hated the idea of everything being the same, you know, every day nothing really changing so I wanted to just do something big to make myself kind of force myself into a big change and then I didn't have any plans like I I knew I was going to go for the year but after that I didn't know if I was going to go back to pharmacy or what I was going to do really I kind of wanted to see 
where the trip took me, I guess. Now, what has been um, the kind of the upside of it? Mainly, I think it's the meeting new people in different places and just getting to have like incredible experiences all around the world. Like um, I spent my 30th birthday in the Maldives because I was working with a resort over there. I've been to Finland in the middle of winter doing like husky sledding and that kind of thing. I did some ice climbing over there. Um, I did abseiling in Sri Lanka. I ended up with a few leeches on me. That was definitely a memorable experience. (laughs) So tell me how, I suppose most people will be listening now and wondering, gosh, they'd love to do something like that, but wouldn't it be terribly expensive? How does that aspect of it work? Yeah, so there's loads of different ways. Like, obviously, my digital nomad lifestyle is making money through my website and collaborations with big companies. Like, other people would do things like teaching English online or they would be, like, uh, social media managers. Now, it seems to me, Tara, that, of course, since the pandemic hit, it has probably affected somebody like you more than practically anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, there's not been much work in the travel industry. Mm. So luckily, I could fall back on the pharmacy. So I've got myself a little part time pharmacy job now, which is oh, actually right. Fine. And I, I'd say your mammy's delighted. <laughs> back to yeah, normal. She is. Like, I told you to do that in college. Aren't you lucky you did? The fall back <laughs> job. Well, my mother's still hoping I'll find one of those things right oh, now. And yeah. are you are you gearing up to get going again? Yeah, I'd definitely be getting back out there once we're allowed, you know, if they lift the restrictions and. Um, but I don't know if I'll go back to it the same way that I was. You know, I was traveling like full time, mm. but I don't know if I'll do it now. I've quite gotten quite used to the stability of a couple of days <laughs> of a stable job and seeing the family regularly sure. is quite nice. So I think I'll probably be doing shorter trips, uh, but still keeping up the blog, obviously. OK. And where can people find out more about that blog, Tara? Yeah, so my website is whereistara.com and you can find me on Instagram. It's whereistarablog. All right. OK, well, if anybody wants to check Tara out, you'll see some beautiful photographs and maybe get you in the mood for foreign travel all over again. Tara Povey, Digital Nomad, thank you so much for joining us here on The Home Show today. Thanks so much for having me today. Now, uh, Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner, we thought uh, we would talk about, we've had a lovely run of weather during last week, right? And I saw some photographs you posted on your Instagram account. Remind me of the handle. It is Workers Workers Cottage. Cottage. And you had in your lovely uh, home, uh, your dog and you were enjoying the sunshine (laughs) and all of the bright weather and, and that. Talk to me and remind listeners about that lovely outdoor space that you managed to Mm. create in your home. Yeah, what a week we had. So I have a really, really small garden. I think it's less than four metres squared out the back. um, And it has been repurposed into a multifunctional space. So downstairs I have that foldable table. It goes back up against the wall so you can lie out when you want to, when you've got the sun. And that is great. And my dog Perry is such a sun worshipper. He follows the rays of sun oh, around all right. day long and just yeah. hands out. He's <laughs> delighted with life. Well, and we had quite a bit of that. Now, I know the weather has changed and uh, I'm not sure what the forecast is for the coming week, uh, but it, it has not been great. beautiful up to now. So we thought we would talk, because we're sure it's coming back. Of course I mean, it's, it's coming certain, back. It's coming back. It comes so back. we thought we would talk about one of the things that is a must have in the garden at this time of year, which is what all the Love Island contestants <laughs> are lounging about on. And that is the good old-fashioned sun lounger. Um, Now, I suppose for some, it's just one of those kind of cheap and cheerful 
cotton strong metal um, mm-hmm. frames and you just lie on it and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But there's more stylish options. There's loads. So those ones you were just talking about, sometimes I feel like they take your finger off. You try to fold them up and next thing you know, you're, you know you've know you gotten an amputated baby finger. And you need Some a degree in engineering quite, to yeah. get them there. Some of them are quite difficult. What I've seen around a lot at the moment and I'm such a fan of is those very classic wooden frame with just one nice drape of fabric lying on top of it. Um, and they fold away and they're really, really neat and they're gorgeous and they're kind of, you know, that striped fabric. They might have a little tassel at the end of them and I think those are gorgeous. And I've seen them, they're the sling chair, they're called, if anyone's looking for them. And I've seen them a lot uh, on Instagram. Susie McAdam, the interior yes, designer, yeah, yeah. has opened her online store. So big shout out for fellow oh, Limerick right. woman. Well Great. done, Susie. Well done, Susie. Um, and she has them stocked there and there's gorgeous black and white striped ones. There's a gorgeous mustard one. I'm a big fan of mustard. And there's a really nice... Chinoiserie, is that the right Chinoiserie, maybe. Chinoiserie, yeah, yeah. yeah that lovely blue and white pattern. Gorgeous. Now, that, stunning. to me, in that description, is is like nearly an Americana yeah. look, isn't it? A 50s. Yeah, or 70s, okay. I'd well around there, yeah. yeah. And there's actually, there's a beautiful photo as well, a really classic photo from Slim Ahrens, a famous photographer. Mm. And it isn't that chair, but it's very reminiscent of that style. It's two women, they're by the pool, they're in Palm Springs, they've got cocktails and... Yeah. Dark that glasses the and the big me. sun hat. Exactly. Oh, we love want to replicate that. We absolutely it. do. Never mind the Love Island perfect, you know, <laughs> uh, surgical bodies. You well, know? On the, yeah. On the no. other side of that, they, the ones they have in Love Island that I quite like the look of. Now, my house is too small and I can't fit them. But if you have the luxury of space, these massive, massive beanbags. And right. they're huge. Okay. They can go indoor, nighttime, movies, lying on the floor that kind of thing and they can go outdoor and I, I always watch them on Love Island and I think that looks like the height of luxury They are really really popular nowadays and Huge. I first um, encountered them but I think it was actually in Merrion Square Park they used to do outdoor cinemas in no, yes, the times we used to do that uh, and you could you could get these massive big bean bags I mean they'd fit two or three people yeah, on them they're absolutely on them these kind of day glow colours. Are they expensive? And, yeah. you know, uh, uh, like what do you do with them when you're not on them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there, there's two things you could potentially do. One, you can just use them as chairs indoor. They can go into a corner. You can sit on them watching movies. They are quite, they are really comfortable and they're fine for indoors. Um, or you can hang them up. So they usually have, you know, a reinforced hole or eyelet or whatever in the corner of it. So if you have a hook somewhere and you need to put it away, um, they're not they're not that difficult to hang up and then they're they're out of sight because they are quite garish is a bit strong word mm. but they're definitely strong colours yeah and I suppose they have the benefit certainly in room that maybe teenagers or whatever would be using that they're not fixed furniture that, that's it I think that is so huge as well in, in design especially if you're having more people over or if you're using that room and you you know you want to be able to fill it with people but you don't necessarily want to get three to four more couches or mm. chairs into the room then they are really handy because they're so comfortable now the one thing I will say is they're lovely to flop down on. I don't know if you try to get out of one. It is well, this very is ungraceful. So <laughs> I, I, am, I suspect this is an age-related issue. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be clambering out of one with any great elegance or ease. It's ungainly. <laughs> but I've seen the ones I've seen that I really like the look of. There's two brands if people are looking. Elephant and Big Bertha. I like the sound of Big Bertha. I could go to sleep in Big Bertha. <laughs> Uh, so they're the ones to look out for and uh, and they are hugely popular and, and kids love them and you can kind of sink into them and that's great. I would just, a note of caution because I do know somebody, I know they're very sturdy and they're made of a very strong kind of fabric. Canvas, it's like a canvas, mm. but if you have an exuberant 
pet with long claws. Oh, oh no. It may not end well and your old Hoover will get to use it. I, I feel like if something like that happened years later, you'd be finding the little would. balls around. You would, yes. you okay, would. Okay, so care you to be taken. All right. Okay, don't mention the Germans. Right, okay. <laughs> Sun loungers, think of the bean bag and think of lovely Americana slatted wood furniture because it's a it's an investment piece then it's an investment it? piece and you it's going to be sitting out in your back garden for most of the summer you don't necessarily want to be moving it in and out all the time mm. so having something it's a really nice way to bring in that really summery pop of color that you might not have year round so i would say invest why not yeah, yeah and they, it looks it beautiful on you know outside if you're looking outside to your outside space from the inside it's just a beautiful piece of furniture to have sitting exactly. there They're okay now let's move back inside the house because i know when the weather is inclement lovely when it's beautiful and dry and we can do all our laundry outside but when we come inside of course we have to have uh, options there and one of those of course is the trusty clothes horse i have one of those wire contraptions myself I, I don't like putting clothes on radiators I just don't think it dries properly mm. uh, and I can't bear a tumble dryer so um, again it's that construction it's getting it out and getting it back and all that kind of thing talk to me about clothes horses they're unwieldy and they're so ugly what, what really annoys me about them is that I, and listen I don't have the perfect solution here but I have some ideas but what really annoys me is you've done your house it's really clean it's looking great you've got it decorated the way you want and next thing you have knickers and towels and your old running shorts and they're hanging up on this massive clothes horse and it just ruins everything doesn't it and there's no space for it they're a nightmare they're awful and I agree with you about hanging clothes on radiators because it's, sometimes they just dry a bit crispy they do. it's just not I don't love it there's a middle ground though which I've come across which I think is a really really nice option um, and this is a self-heating clothes horse Oh, so they're the same style, okay. size, they fold out. You can get taller vertical ones, which I think might be a better option. But they're aluminium. Their air blows through them, warm air. So you plug them in, need them near a plug. Air blows through them and you hang your clothes up. And it means, I would say it at least has probably the time for drying your clothes. Oh, well, that's interesting. So you're getting the heat, but you're also getting that breeze. So it's not yeah. it's not going to stiffen against it like a radiator. It's not going to stiffen okay. and it's quite, it's totally safe for delicate fabric. So if you're hanging up your delicates, you don't necessarily want to drape them on a hot mm. radiator. Mm. But you've got this lovely, warm, you know, tepid <laughs> air. Mike, I feel like and draping myself across one of those. <laughs> now, where would, you, where would you pick up one of those, Jennifer? I've seen them in Woody's. I've seen them in Argos. And I know Black & Decker for sure do, do a pretty good one, a nice sturdy aluminium one. Okay. And what I've seen is people covering them. So if you've got a nice breathable fabric... Um, and you really wanted to, you know, out of sight, out of mind, you could cover it in something because the air is circulating inside. So you've got a little little hot press for yourself. Now, I'm a big fan of what the Victorians did for us. And when I think of a big Victorian kitchen in a grand house, what comes to mind is that uh, slatted um, uh, set of bars that comes down off the ceiling to mm. hang laundry across. Very, very popular. We thought we knew better. We've done away with it all, but they're making a comeback. They're so beautiful. And it's laundry and anything else. You see people hanging pots and ladles and everything. And I love that look. I think it makes it, it's really lived in. It's really warm. It's really cozy. Those are called the kitchen made. So they're they're made from wood. They have a lovely brass fixture, keeping all the, the wooden um, planks together. And they're just gorgeous. And they hang off the roof. So they're on a pulley system. They're up overhead, a little bit out of sight, out of mind which works in the lovely Victorian homes with really high ceilings. You know, maybe mm. if you have a high ceiling, it's a nice place to put them. 
and they were typically in front of those old big stoves so the heat would be coming up and your I mean they really knew they they were very sensible kind of an invention yeah Mm. they were way ahead so you can get what's called now you know you can invest in the kitchen maid which I love you can also get what's called a Sheila maid okay so this is a more modern version of that I don't think it's quite as expensive as you know the the solid brass and the wood Mm. option Mm. but it's it's something that goes onto your ceiling. It's a pulley system. So again, out of sight, out of mind, if you want to pull it up on a high ceiling. Now, if you're on. going to put it over the aga, would you not be worried your clothes would be a bit smelly? It, goes by. it depends on what you're cooking. If you're having <laughs> curry or fish or something that could smell. I've that. seen Maybe those, that's of course. Why they get it I blame Jamie Oliver for this because I've seen those also used to kind of um, hold pasta. You know, if you oh, make yeah. fresh pasta and you hang it, drape it over to kind of dry My it off. My father does that. He has a version of it at home and everything gets hung up there to dry over there. We, we purposed furniture. We love all that in the home yeah, show. All right. Now, um, uh, retractable showers, of course, anybody now uh, who is used to staying in hotels for any period of time will know that you get that little uh, sometimes over the back a little pull out uh, washing line that goes right the way across to the other side to hang up steaming is really good for clothes isn't it that, it that is. kind of that taking all the wrinkles out yes so I am such a fan of these I think they're brilliant you can get them on Amazon or anywhere just look for a retractable clothesline they're small round little dome shaped things you wouldn't even know they're there when they're not out and then you pull the line out and it hooks onto a small little hook at the other end I love these because I hate ironing. I refuse to iron. I don't own one. I have a little handheld steamer for when I'm stuck. But if you have, you know, shirts or a lighter fabric that wrinkles will fall out of, then putting them in a steamy environment is genius. So these you can put up over your shower, over your bath, anywhere, right? If you have like a really awkward space in your hot press, for example, or your garden and you don't want, you know, you don't want a big clothes drying horse out there all the time. Those are perfect. And it's cheap as chips. They're about a fiver. They're nothing. And you can yeah. install them for nothing. Just make sure that you're putting them into a fairly solid part of the wall. Because if you're hanging lots of towels sure. or whatever on them, they need the weight. Yeah. Yeah. So think about okay. that. Okay, all right. But That's a brilliant uh, idea. super idea. All right, great uh, ideas there from Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner, who I am talking with on the Home Show today on News Talk. Uh, now, uh, Jennifer, you, you would have, over your time in redeveloping your beautiful home, I'm sure that you have come across quite a lot of hacks and ways to do things differently and getting yourself organised. So we thought we'd ask you to bring your top tip to the show, your home hack of the year. I have loads. How much time do we have left? (laughs) (laughs) So my big one at the moment, all the shops are reopening and I I assume there's... For the moment, folks. For the moment, keeping everything crossed. Um, So I assume there's lots of people out there who have ideas about new furniture they want to get, redecorating they want to do, anything that they've been thinking about as we've sat in these four walls for months and months and years now. Um, So my number one top tip is get a little bag together, put a measuring tape in there, get samples of everything you've decided. So if you've chosen your paint, your couch fabric or anything that you have at home, get samples of that, put it in that bag. If you've your flooring, get a sample of your flooring, your tiles, whatever it might be um, and carry that everywhere with you. One thing that I noticed when I went shopping is I'd see something like a yellow cushion or a blanket and I'd think, God, that would be fabulous now. I've got pops of yellow and that would go. And then I'd bring out my sample and it's just not quite the right shade. Isn't that um, really that great? It's such a simple thing because how often have you been in a, in a store, you're just having a little noodle around, you're not looking for anything specific and you spot something that you think would be perfect, but you're not, you're just yeah. not. Is that the right pink? Is it just the right blue? Um, that's a super idea. So a sample of whatever is a, a what, like an ongoing project. Yeah, whatever is chosen already. So maybe if you have your couch already, for example, 
and that's not moving, then maybe you ask, go back to the manufacturer. They always have samples um, and they'll usually send them out to you and go back and ask, can I have it and bring it everywhere. Otherwise, you're coming home with lovely things that just don't quite go mm. and then your head is melted from trying to figure out what to do with it. And bring it back and, and all bring that it kind back. of thing. Great. So that's colours. And the next thing is measuring. Measure everything at least twice. I cannot stress this enough. Know how much space Indeed. you have. Bring a measuring tape with you. Go to Ikea and get those paper ones even. Throw it in your handbag. That's why they have Brilliant them there because I think so 100%. many people turn up at Ikea thinking, oh, that cabinet looks fabulous. You go in to buy three candles and you come out 400 quid later with a load of stuff. But they don't want it back any more than you want no. to have to go back. And you don't want to make it. You don't want to make an Ikea cabinet. <laughs> Waste a whole weekend screaming at the instructions and then realise it doesn't fit. Oh, it never happened. I'll be out in the sun lounger. He'll be inside <laughs> making the thing. So bring a measuring tape with you and samples of ongoing projects of work. And I know that, that you have a tip now when it comes to kind of getting the paint right because if you've got a particular paint on the wall and you can't bring the wall with you. You can't bring the wall with you. And a photo won't do. It never shows up right. So what you can do is if if you're painting your walls and you're looking for samples, a lot of people will just paint the samples directly on the wall. And that's fine if you can do that. Great. Go for it. If you can't or you want to bring something with you, buy a small sample pot of it and paint it onto a large. And I do mean large. Now go for a three or a two sheet of white paper. White, white. Be careful. It's white. Um, and bring that with you or hang it up in your house. So if you're looking for, you know, you want to just check, is that shade the right one? Put it in a darker spot in the room, put it in a lighter spot in the room, check it that night with your lights on um, and just see it in different environments. And that will really help because those little tiny sample, you know, paint things you get, you're not going to tell anything from them. What are they, like two centimetres? Okay, well, listen, that is a fantastic idea as always. Jennifer Sheehan, Home of the Year winner. Uh, thank you very much for coming into us again this week on thank the Home Show. And let's fingers crossed now we get to use the sun loungers during oh, the week. Oh, everything crossed. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and that is all we have time for on this week's Home Show. Mm-hmm.